Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Again, friends, good morning. Welcome to Sunday after Thanksgiving. Hopefully all of y'all's yearly turkey fast is starting today as is mine. Um, but I hope you did all have a great holiday week and it's good to be gathered back with you. Um, if you're a guest with us, I hope that you have felt warmly welcomed thus far by our community. And if you are a guest, it may be helpful for you to have just a couple words of introduction. At Eastside, we think of ourselves as something of a semi-liturgical church community. And this essentially means that there is this, this calendar, this liturgical year that Christian liturgical churches follow. And there's a yearly calendar that includes holidays such as Easter, and Good Friday, Christmas. And last Sunday, we celebrated as a community one of the lesser known of these Sundays, Christ is King Sunday, also known as the Reign of Christ. And one of the things many people don't realize about Christ the King or Reign of Christ Sunday is that it is the last day in the yearly cycle of the Christian liturgical calendar. So it is something of our Christian uh, New Year's Eve, if you will. Which, of course, makes the following Sunday, which brings us to today, this morning, the first Sunday of Advent, as the first Sunday in the Christian liturgical year. So, Happy New Year's to you all. Last Sunday, our community finished up a three-year cycle of readings through the lectionary. For three years, we had journeyed with these readings that are from the Old and from the New Testaments. And every three years, the cycle turns over and starts over at the beginning. And our community had lived through those three years. And this morning, we start on something new and something fresh as we enter into this season of Advent, the first Sunday of the Christian year. And I'll say more about this, but the season of Advent it has multiple dimensions to it. But one of the deepest and most profound parts or realities to this liturgical season is that it is a season of longing. It is season where we wait patiently and we long for that which we hope for. And to begin our journey in this Advent season as we prepare our hearts and our lives for our celebration of Christmas, we're going to start way back in an early part in our Bibles, and then we're going to work our way forward throughout the season of Advent. And this morning we're going to start all the way back in the ancient book of Exodus. Um, we're going to be reading from chapter 2. And friends, as I read, I invite you to stand with me and mind and heart and spirit as you are able. We'll begin reading in chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. And as I read, I invite you to listen for the word of God. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of their slavery, their cry for help rose to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, Here I am. Then God said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, Further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Let's pray. God, in this Advent season, in this season of preparation, of longing, of patience, we ask that indeed you would meet us. That your presence would come among us, that you would speak to us, God, in fresh ways. That you, God, would help us to prepare our hearts for your coming, for your advent, for your arrival. God, may we have hearts that are open, may we have ears to hear. God, I pray that these words that I have prepared might be your word for your people in this time, and I pray, God, that as necessary, you would speak in spite of them. And as possible, please do so. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, the rock of God. In Christ's name we pray. The Lord said, Amen. Friends, please, please be seated. Advent, coming, coming of God, the strange liturgical season where we are called to wait, to anticipate. What are we anticipating? Our yearly celebration of Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. There's more to this season. The season is actually more than, than simply about our celebration of Christmas Eve. It goes much deeper and much further back. And it gets to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. 
a people who believe that humanity is a people collectively in need of saving. And collective, collectively in need of a savior. The book of Exodus begins with a serious problem. But it's not a problem that arrives in the book of Exodus per se. It's actually a problem that has compounded and is the continuation of a problem that began back in the book before it, Genesis chapter 3. See, human beings were originally blessed. God, human beings, we enjoyed this state of blessedness and harmony between ourselves and the divine. But human beings were given true freedom. Freedom to choose, to live in sync with the Creator. Freedom to live out of sync with the desires, the will, and the intention of the Creator. We are told in the story of the Garden of Eden that humanity exercised our freedom to act outside of the divine will. And we're told that things on our planet go quickly out of alignment, and they spin out of control in very dark ways. The ark, the grand story of scripture, is the creator of God at work alongside of human beings, seeking to slowly but surely reintroduce and to reorder a world that had gone wrong. And here's the thing, Genesis, especially the beginning of Genesis, it highlights the sort of individual sin. Adam and Eve, right, eat the apple or the forbidden fruit. Cain kills Abel. There's these sort of individualized acts of disobedience against God. The thing about sin and living outside of God's intention is that what begins as an individual out, stepping out of the divine will ultimately begins to work its way into the structures of how human beings live collectively as a group. Given enough time and opportunity to compound and multiply our sin, our rebellious ways, they get sort of incorporated into societal structures, into societal sin where whole cultures become infected with systems of oppression, of injustice, of inequality. Large groups of individuals begin acting in a certain direction in a certain way, and then large groups begin to thwart the divine will for human beings. The book of Genesis begins with the story of individual sin, Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel. So quickly, by the book of Exodus, we encounter something very different. In the book of Exodus, we see this stark and troubling example of how the pattern of individual has moved to collective, and it's unfolded on this sort of mass scale at this national collective level. We're told by the narrator that the descendants of the man Abraham, that they're living in Egypt, that they are no longer living as equals among the Egyptian citizens as they once were, but now they are living in a relationship of subservience. They're living as slaves to the Egyptian empire. Which begs the question, what happened? How did the people of God become enslaved so quickly by a foreign superpower? If you remember the end of the book of Genesis, it comes to its completion with that famous story of Joseph, Joseph, the youngest son of the Jewish patriarch Jacob, Joseph, who was beloved by his father, and in this act of dark collective jealousy, Joseph's brothers, they, they gang up on him, and they 
entrap him, and then they sell him into slavery to get rid of him. So that they don't have to hear anything more about his annoying dreams and his preferred presence with their father. Stark, sort of collective sin of his brothers and Joseph in Egypt. But the story takes this really unique turn, and it's really fascinating because Joseph winds up finding great favor, right, with the Egyptian empire, with Pharaoh. Joseph eventually finds himself as the second in command in Egypt. And Joseph has a dream that tells him that they need to save up the grain. And they save up so much grain that, that then when a famine strikes so large that it even reaches the land where Joseph's former family lived. His family ultimately travel to Egypt because they're the only ones who have food. And then in this beautiful twist of fate, there's reconciliation between Joseph and his family. They are saved because of Joseph's relationship to the Egyptian empire. When you think the story is going to take a beautiful turn, you turn the page to the book of Exodus. Apparently Joseph's family settles in Egypt and becomes comfortable there. But as often happens, the past is forgotten, new leadership comes into power, and the story of Joseph and his family is lost. The memory of Joseph's saving work on behalf of the Egyptian empire either faded away or it was intentionally wiped from the narratives of Egypt's history. This morning's reading, it finds us in this dark state of collective sin. A nation who's not only betrayed their benefactor, Joseph, whose wisdom saved the Egyptians from famine generations ago, but who've now betrayed Joseph's descendants in the most inhumane of ways, the active dehumanization through slavery. Human beings were gifted to co-create with God, were given the freedom to work along, alongside of God to make our world beautiful, to live and to love and to make new things beginning of Exodus have forcibly pushed these Israelite people or Hebrew people to co-create on their behalf for them instead of with them. The Egyptians have oppressed another group of humans for their own benefit. Maybe in part out of fear because we're told that the Hebrew people's population is, is booming. Maybe it's in part because of greed, free labor, and building the empire. But in this ancient text, we find a people in the midst of Advent longing. Longing for salvation, longing for something to happen. The author tells us that the Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up. God. When I read this text, I just imagine in my mind sort of this cacophony, one Hebrew person after another, receiving a whip, another beating for not working hard enough, not working long enough, and this cacophony of, of heads and hearts turning to heaven, screaming out in this sort of roaring cry, Yahweh, save us. I imagine the ancient Hebrews crying out, to the ancestral God of their 
ancient ancestor Joseph, of whom they had heard stories, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, God, if you are powerful, if you are, come do something about our suffering. This is an Advent text of a people waiting and pleading and crying out for rescue, for salvation. And we're told that their cries reached the ears of the vine. So why begin an Advent journey here in the book of Exodus? A place of suffering, a place of slavery, a place of pain, a place with a world gone awry, a world derailed from God's good and best intentions, a place where people are collectively longing and screaming out for liberation, for salvation. Why begin here? Because in some ways, it doesn't sound all that different from parts of our world today. Amen? Because at least in part, this is precisely what the season of Advent is about. It is about our collective longing, waiting for God to finally and fully transform and redeem our world. Advent is about our collective longing that God would do something, would indeed step in, would make things right, would put things back together, would bring healing and wholeness and goodness. Advent, friends, if nothing else, is about at least naming and acknowledging those places in our lives where we do long for salvation, where we long for something to be different, for something to be better, for something to be transformed, to turn a corner, where we long to move from disorientation to orientation, where we long to move from a state of lostness to a state of being found. Advent is about nothing else. It is about our collective human yearning for a better life, for a better world, in the here and in the now. And maybe for some of you in this room, you have a pretty good life. Maybe for some, your longings aren't even for your own life. They're for others in your life. A child, a grandchild, a sibling, a friend, somebody that you care about. For some, maybe your Advent longing isn't about yourself. It's a longing that you hold in trust for another human being on this planet. Maybe your calling in this Advent season is to be for that person, one who lifts them up to God as the ancient Hebrew people cried out for God to move on their behalf. Maybe for some your groaning isn't for yourself, but for someone else in this world. Each Sunday together we pray the Lord's Prayer and we sing, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth. One could argue that the season of Advent is kind of summed up in this prayer. And the big stuff like climate change, the wild international political tensions that we're watching unfold right now, the wildness that's going on at our own U.S. border where families are being separated, the ongoing trauma caused by systemic racism in our own country, homophobia, sexism, the very personal stuff of 
our, of our really individualized lives, stuff like employment, paying bills, health, our kids' school, education, the happiness of our loved ones, marriages, friendships. It's all summed up in this prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, whether it's the really big stuff or it's the really personal stuff. It's all there and present during Advent, friends. We collectively see, friends, that the world is not God's kingdom fully actualized and realized. We can see and we can experience that there's still so much pain throughout our planet, both in the walls of this room. So during Advent, we long and we pray for a world to become a better place, for our lives to be places where God is known more deeply and experienced more richly. During Advent, we give ourselves permission to pine, to wish, to dream, to long, to imagine a better future. We don't tell ourselves that we're just being weak. We let ourselves be honest about where our weakness is where our frustrations with the world as it stands may be. We let ourselves dream about a world that could be, and in dreaming of what could be, find ourselves dissatisfied with what is. In this season, friends, we have permission to name the fact that the world is not okay. Things are broken. And in this season, we give our permission, ourselves permission to ask for help recognize where we are crying out. The ancient Hebrews cry out to God for help. God hears them. Where's the brokenness of the world intersected with your lived reality? Where has human sin, whether personal or systemic, caused fracturing in your experience of life? Where does your heart long for something better? What is broken that you deeply long to see fixed? Advent is a season in our yearly Christian liturgical cycle to do just this, to name that which is broken, to cry out to God for help and for healing, and then to recognize what it is God does after God receives the cry of the oppressed in this morning's hymn. The oppressed cry out, God hears them, the divine ears are receptive. But here's the thing, and it's a reality that to many of us causes great frustration, honestly. God does not just immediately step in and answer the Hebrew people's prayers by defeating the Egyptians. No, in the story we're told that God's response is to go in search of another human being who God believes, believes has the capacity to do something to help these human beings over here. God goes out and God finds Moses. God, in answering the cry of the Hebrews' pain, goes out and finds another human being and calls them to help. God did answer the cry of the oppressed, but God did so by calling upon the comfortable, ambivalent Moses out in the wilderness tending to the animals. I think the way the author depicts Moses is that he had grown pretty comfortable tending the flocks out in the desert. He 
sort of settled into a pretty normal, comfortable life. And God intersects with his reality and says, Moses, I have a bigger job for you to do. I want to use you to help alleviate human suffering, pain, and brokenness in the world. I want to use you, Moses, to move my plan forward. I want to take you out of the life that you're in and push you to do something more, something different, something that will be very uncomfortable for you. You see, Moses' advent call was not the same as the suffering Hebrews. For some this morning, advent will not simply be a call to cry out. It will be a call to respond to the crying out of other human beings. Some during Advent we do as the Hebrews did, and we collectively and we corporately cry out for salvation, for God to enter our lives. Some of us, during Advent, we wake up and we hear the voice of the divine challenger pushing us to be the salvation of another human being. God would use Moses to set God's people free. In this Advent season, how might you be the answer to somebody else's prayers? Some of us, this Advent is about acknowledging what it is we really long for, where we long for salvation to be healed, to be made whole. Some Advent is this season in which God is calling and beckoning us to become salvation for another. And probably for many, it will be a little bit of both. Healers seeking to heal that are also seeking healing themselves. And that's hopefully the way that it works. We are helping others. Someone is reaching out and helping us. But friends, this Advent, maybe God is calling you to name the brokenness in your life and to seek some salvation, the brokenness in this world, and to be salvation. But in this season of Advent, may we together yearn and long and admit and acknowledge that the world is not okay as it stands. And we together collectively are crying out, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.